We come tonight to chapter 4 in the book of Ruth. We've been looking together for several services and sermons to the, at the book of Ruth, and it comes to a beautiful resolution uh, in chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, it's found on page 415 in the Pew Bibles, page 415. Let us listen now to this word which the Lord speaks to us. <coughs> Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malan's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Though the offspring the Lord gives you, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, 
Nashon, the father of Selmon, Selmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. May the Lord bless this reading and our hearing of his word this evening. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you've probably heard it said that every good story begins with a question or a problem that needs resolution. And the story that unfolds in respect to that question or that problem involves resolution. And it comes to a conclusion. And if you're like me, you like a happy ending. It ends with words something like, and so they live thereafter happily and joyfully together for many years. Now, this is a story, the book of Ruth, but it's more than a story. It's not a fairy tale. It's the story, as I've been suggesting to you all along, of God's great work in redemption. The history of the human race since Adam's fall in respect to God's work is always a history which has redemption at its core. And all of the lines and all of the paths lead inexorably, inescapably to one place. In the fullness of time, in a little village called Bethlehem, where the eternal Son of God become flesh, was born to a young maiden by the name of Mary, who was to be the Savior, the Redeemer of His people, of you and me. And this story, as it comes to its resolution, it's not the ultimate resolution, is a portrait, a foretelling, a kind of typifying of the greater reality of your and my kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to conclude our service after the sermon tonight by singing, I will sing of my redeemer, who at the cost of his own blood and life purchased, set me free, and granted to me redemption full and free. That's the story that unfolds here. Now, I need to begin. I have three points tonight. First of all, redemption refused by an unnamed relative who was a near relative kinsman of Naomi and Elimelech, then was Boaz, who himself says he's next in line. Redemption refused. And then secondly, redemption embraced by Boaz. And then lastly, redemption confirmed. But before we look at the story as it unfolds at the outset, let's consider for a moment, go back to something I mentioned this morning. I think your pastor has larger ears than I do because this microphone keeps wanting to come off of my ear. I do my best to fiddle with it. Hopefully it'll stay on for the remainder of the service. But I told you that from Deuteronomy 25, the Lord had provided that among his people, they were to be their brother and their sister's keeper. They were in God's name, the Lord's name, to so act in relationship to each other that they represented imitating the love and kindness of God toward them. And that meant, in particular, 
that if you were a near relative, actually in the Old Testament it's more complicated than simply in the instance of a widow. You know, for example, in the book of Numbers, that there was a provision for the redemption that was provided for a family member in the case of someone within the family having been murdered. It was authorized by the Lord that justice could be meted out and the lost, murdered relative redeemed, so to speak, by an act of vengeance. There's also in the Old Testament a provision if you, for whatever reason, would lose your portion, that parcel of land that the Lord God gave to his people and to the various tribes and their families, which represented their portion as recipients of God's blessing and favor. If you, because you were a poor farmer, because you mishandled your uh, inheritance, lost that inheritance, it was permissible, and even perhaps became a slave, indentured servant, working and laboring to get back that portion in the land that had been lost, there was a provision for the redemption of persons who had become slaves. In fact, there was a provision after seven times 70, 49 years, the Jubilee, where every person in Israel freely and graciously would find their family's portion and their inheritance among God's people from the Lord restored to them. The principle of redemption, you see, was embedded even in God's gracious law. But now more specifically, I read this morning from Deuteronomy 25, what happens in the case of a woman in Israel whose husband dies, she's now a widow, without a son, who can receive, carry on the family name, and carry on, retain ownership of that land granted to the family as their rightful inheritance among God's people. Well, there was the Leveret Law, which said that the nearest brother of the deceased brother-in-law to the widow who is now childless and without a husband, it was his obligation to, in the name of his brother and his brother's line, to take his brother's widowed wife as his own wife. And if the Lord grant them a son, that son would carry on the family's name and keep its possession, portion, among God's people. It was a provision that in the book of Ruth is called the role of the kinsman, the near relative redeemer. And you know where the story begins. If you go back some time ago when we started in the book of Ruth, it begins with a widow by the name of Naomi who's lost her husband, Elimelech, while in Moab, and her two sons, Malan and Kilian. Only in chapter 4 do we find out that Malan was the husband of Ruth, not Orpah. First time is, uh, that's mentioned, incidentally, in the book. And her Moabite, his daughter-in-law, who pledges loyalty to Ruth, to her people, and to her place, and to her family, and to her God, they're in a desperate situation as widows, 
God is a God who has a special heart, the word of the Lord tells us, for orphans and widows. Who will come to help them? Who will maintain the family name of Naomi's husband, Elimelech? Who will preserve the name of their family in the line of the generations in the registry of God's people? We would call it the church directory. But more importantly, who will secure for them the retention, the preservation of their inheritance, their portion among God's people? Well, enter Boaz. As we saw this morning, Boaz pledges in response to Naomi's scheme to propose marriage to Boaz, kinsman redeemer of her husband, Elimelech, that Boaz is willing. He's ready. In fact, the chapter ends, chapter 3. I didn't stress that this morning because I was running out of time. But it says, Naomi remarks regarding Boaz, the man will not rest. He'll stop at nothing to do what is obliged of him as a kinsman redeemer until the matter is settled today. But notice how chapter 4 begins. We're told that Boaz, shortly thereafter, early in the day, no doubt, goes to the town gate so that the matter can be adjudicated. And he sits down there. This is where in Israel the important business relating to their life together would be transacted. And this, we've been told in the earlier chapter, chapter 3, by Boaz, that there is someone, although the author of Ruth does not tell us whether this was a brother of Elimelech, unmarried, who could do for his deceased brother with respect to Naomi's family what was necessary. Uh, We just know that Boaz was not the nearest of kin. And when the kinsman redeemer, who was first in line to do for Naomi and her family and for Ruth the Moabitess what was obligated, when the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along. Now notice something in the story. The name of Boaz is going to be celebrated in perpetuity among God's people. Even in Cottage Grove Christian Reformed Church on this September 1, 2019, we name the name of Boaz. We don't know this man's name. He remains nameless. It's part of his shame. It's part of the Lord's word concerning his failure to be his brother's keeper. But when this kinsman... He had mentioned, came along, Boaz says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down, and Boaz, to make the matter legal, invites ten elders, a full number of the elders of the town, and he says, you sit here, and they do so. And then he says to the kinsman redeemer, nearer in line, first in obligation to redeem Naomi's family, he says, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. Now, having heard this, we're told by the author of Ruth, I'll do it, he said. I'm ready to pay the price to acquire the land of Elimelech even as you propose. 
sounds good. But he hasn't the courage of his convictions. He doesn't really mean it because we're told immediately after his saying, I will redeem it, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, the land of her deceased husband and Ruth's father-in-law, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, you will have to, in the bargain, not only obtain the property, the inheritance belonging to Elimelech's family, but you'll be under obligation, according to the law of kinsman redeemer, to take Ruth the Moabitess as your wife, so that the name of Elimelech, through the son granted to the marriage of Boaz and Ruth, will preserve their place, their name, and their inheritance among God's people. What does the kinsman redeemer say to that? Wait a minute. Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. This is a selfless act. The law and its provision was you did as kinsman redeemer by purchasing and acquiring your brother's wife as your own wife, not your own name and your own property, but the property of your brother, his name, and his inheritance will be continued through the son granted to that marriage. I cannot redeem it then because I might endanger my own estate. It would be too selfless. There's nothing in it for me. I won't gain anything by it. It doesn't say anything about why I don't find this Ruth the Moabitess a particularly pleasing or likely candidate for marriage. In any case, I don't want to be looked at cross-eyed by my fellow Israelites that I have a Moabitess for a wife. Uh, he doesn't say that, but clearly he's not interested if there is not in it advantage for him. Keep this all in mind as we go along. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Now this morning, this business of taking off the sandal, I deliberately read not from Deuteronomy 5 but 25 at verses 5 through 7, and I stopped there. Let me pick it up at verse 8 in Deuteronomy 25, verse 7 rather. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, that's this kinsman redeemer. I don't want Ruth. I'm not ready to take on this responsibility. There's nothing in it for me. Uh, go ahead, Boaz. You play the role of kinsman redeemer. I refuse to do what is required of me. She shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Now listen to this. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. And if he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders. Now really listen. Take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's 
family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. That's pretty interesting, huh? At the doorpost of your house or at the gateway to your property, there's a sign posted, the house of the shameful unsandaled. The Israelite who was unwilling to do for his brother at cost to himself to preserve the family line, its name, portion, and inheritance among God's people. We're not told in the book of Ruth that that's what's happened, but I mention all of that because of the sandal. You may not remember that when uh, Saddam Hussein was rooted out, uh, when the United States was engaged in warfare some years ago in Iraq, uh, what did they do with the statue of Saddam Hussein in the middle of Baghdad? They threw shoes at it. What did they do with our former president, W.? President Bush, he was at a news conference in the Middle East and suddenly there were people throwing like missiles shoes at him. It's an ancient practice in the Middle East to hold someone up for shame, shame, that you are unwilling to play the role of redeemer. But thanks be to God, there is a kinsman redeemer who's ready to stand up and take his place in the front of line. So the kinsman redeemer says to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. And then Boaz announced to the elders and the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain, notice this, the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records Today you are witnesses, and the elders in unison uh, say together, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, mothers in Israel, who together built up the house of the Lord, the house of Israel. May you have standing Boaz in Ephrathah, be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. What was Boaz willing to do? A man of honor, a man of stature, a man of good reputation in the church. He takes to himself a young widow from of all places Moab. At great cost to himself, selflessly procuring, redeeming, purchasing the line and the family of his brother Elimelech, that it might be preserved in the house of Israel, that their portion and inheritance will be received not only by Naomi and by Ruth the Moabitess, but by their descendants after them. And so Boaz steps up to the plate, and he plays the role of kinsman-redeemer, selflessly obtaining and doing what was necessary to obtain for Naomi and for the house of Elimelech. It's preservation 
among God's people and in the portion of their inheritance in God's covenant. And now you know the rest of the story. That redemption is confirmed. Not long thereafter, Boaz takes Ruth. She becomes his wife. He goes into her. The Lord enables her. One of the few times in Ruth where the Lord is directly mentioned as directly acting, even though the whole of it is entirely within the grasp and the handiwork of God's providence and grace in the family and in the line of Elimelech. The Lord enabled her to conceive. And we end with what? The birth of another kinsman redeemer by the name of Obed, which means servant. And then the story concludes with a piece of the genealogy of the family line of the tribe of Judah, of the family of Elimelech, and of now Boaz and Ruth, and then through them Obed, father of Jesse, father of David. And if you were to transpose the concluding genealogy and put it on the page of the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, you would find that this is the story of the coming and a preparation for the great kinsman redeemer, the one and only child born of a woman who was able at great cost to himself to obtain for his dear friends, his brothers and sisters, a name written down, as I said, taking words from one of those well-known hymns of the faith, written down in glory, and to obtain for them an inheritance, not in a piece of land in the Old Testament type of the glory land of God's people that we will someday enter into in its fullness. And you know, brothers and sisters, I think I've mentioned this really early on in the series in Ruth, There's that beautiful language employed by the author of Hebrews. Who is our kinsman redeemer? He's none other than God of God. The Son whom the Father sent and provided us. Who was willing, not ashamed to call you his kinsmen, his brothers, his sisters. He became flesh. And at what cost, what price was he willing to play, to pay, to purchase your redemption so that you would be set free from the fear of death, so that you would be an inheritor of a land, a world, a new creation without end, that you would come to live in the land of the living, And know in Christ that everything that belongs to him is now also become yours. Or as the author of 1 Peter, the Apostle Peter puts it, obtaining for us an an inheritance that never perishes, that never fades away, keeping us for it and it for us. You know, of course, that when it comes to inheritances, 
There are these folk who have these bumper stickers, I'm spending the children's inheritance by virtue of purchasing this recreational vehicle. And sadly, in human inheritances, we sometimes don't live long enough to obtain it. We predecease our parents. Or they foolishly squander it, and there isn't anything left for us. And even if they don't, we receive it for a little short season. And then it slips through our fingers, and it's gone. As our Lord says in the Gospel of Matthew, moth comes in to eat, rust devours, and it doesn't last. But that's not true of those whose names are written down in glory, written with the seal of Christ's precious blood. That doesn't happen to the promises that are ours in Christ Jesus of new life, acceptance with God, a place within his household and family. He, the elder brother, we, his brothers and sisters, he leaves no one behind for whom he sheds as kinsman redeemer his own precious blood. And so we sing, we tell the story of our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, who is for us a comfort both in life and in death, and keeps us always and preserves us and preserves for us everything he's obtained as our rightful inheritance among God's people. I might just throw this in before I say amen. You should have a bit of a skip in your feet as you make your way through wherever it is you live. And people ought to be at least somewhat impressed with you. You haven't won the lottery. Pathetic thing that that is. You are in possession of something so much more glorious, so much more precious, something that abides never passes away, something compared to which nothing had possibly come up to it. All of it yours, granted to you freely by your kinsman redeemer, Jesus, who came for us and for our salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to see in this story that there is a Redeemer, greater even than Boaz, who though rich for our sakes became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich, rich beyond our imagination, in the things that belong to your kingdom, in the things that are enduring, the things that never fade away or perish things that are by his priceless blood, themselves priceless. And so we will sing until the Lord calls us home and we wait for the day of entry into the fullness of our inheritance in Christ. We will sing of our Redeemer. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's